right. Well, good morning, Orchard. Take out your Bibles this morning and turn to Proverbs 22.7. We may have just let the elephant in the room out, uh, what we're going to be talking about. But hey, before we get into our teaching this morning, as you're finding your way to Proverbs 22.7, uh, I'll be using the New Living Translation if you want to follow along with the same translation. I uh, just want to say something about the horrific events that took place last weekend in Vegas. Um, our country is still in mourning and hurting over that. Um, can only can't even fathom some of the families, what they're going through right now with that tragedy. So let's just continue to pray for all those, the victims, the families, first responders, all that are involved. And, and, and let me just say this and encourage you with this thought. If you're, if you're a Christ follower, I know there's a lot of finger pointing going on right now and people are pointing different sides and what caused this and whose fault. And I think the only finger that needs to be pointed right now is to point people to Jesus. Amen. That, that's where we need to be pointing our finger. Um, to him, instead of placing blame, let's let's choose to place hope. You know, Jesus told us a long time ago: here on earth, we're going to have many trials, but take heart, I've overcome the world. So, those of us that know the hope of this world and the peace of this world, uh, let's use this as an opportunity to point them to Jesus. Amen. Amen. So let's continue just to pray for them in, in that way. Um, today we're starting a new four-week series. It's called The Elephant in, in the Room. And this is a historic time in the life of Orchard Church. So we get ready to move in uh, to our new building. And we're excited about that. But there's some things that we just we need to talk about. And so we need, we need to address as, as a church family. Let me ask you this question uh, by a show of hands. How many of you have ever rented a house? You've ever rented? Okay. How many of you have ever purchased a house? Purchased a house? I think we would all agree there's a difference between renting and owning. If, if you agree, say yes. You know, when, when you rent a house, you know, you look at it differently. You kind of see it as temporary. If there's something that breaks down, needs repaired, you call the landlord. It's not really your problem. But when you own, it's like, man, that's, that's your baby. Your responsibilities change. You got to make sure you can make that mortgage payment. I, I don't know how it is with you guys, but anytime Shelly and I bought a new house, Shelly has to, you know, redecorate the whole thing. Got to get, you know, new couches and draperies and things to match and all of that. And, and we always have to sit down and we have to have a, a conversation, address the elephant in the room. Okay, we're going from renters to owners and that's going to change some things in, in our responsibility. Well, the elephant in the room for Orchard Church is we've been renters for 12 years as a church family and we're getting ready to be owners. That building has our name on it next door, right? And amen. That's exciting. It's exciting, but it also means we have to have some conversations about what does it mean to go from a renter uh, to an owner and the responsibilities that we're all uh, taking on. And if you're a guest today, hey, we're so glad that you're here. Uh, we're mainly kind of having a, a church family meeting, but I believe the things we're going to talk about, especially this week and next week, are going to be very practical to everybody, um, whether you're a regular tender at Orchard or whether you're a guest, because we're going to talk about personal finance and our, and our own personal uh, life. And, and I know what some of you guys are probably thinking, oh, here it comes. We're a few weeks from moving into the building, so now we're going to talk about money and how, how we're going to make this payment. We figured that out a long time ago to make sure we were financially stable and healthy and ready to make this move. We hired two different people to consult us. Uh, they looked at our finances. They looked at our growth pattern, our situation. One of the things that came out of that study was this, that Orchard Church is in the top 10% of healthiest churches financially in America, that we are that healthy. And 
And we praise God for that. We've tried to be very, very good stewards, not of our money, but of, of God's money. We hired a man named Tim Avery that did our capital campaign a couple of years ago. And he said, I've worked with hundreds of churches. And he said, Orchard Church may be one of the most financially healthy churches that I've ever worked with. So we're not talking about this because, oh my goodness, we don't know how we're going to make the building payment. All right, we figured that out a long time ago. But we don't want to just make the building payment and stretch it out for 20 years. We'd like to be debt-free as soon as possible because that's more money that we can put into ministry and missions and starting churches and hand this church off to the next generation in a financially healthy way. Wouldn't that be exciting, church? That's what we want to do. We don't want to just string this thing out. Now, let me just say this. If any of you are playing the lottery and you happen to win, you know, and you want to just pay off the rest of, of the building, what we, we owe on it, we, we could just change the subject for the next four weeks and we could talk about something else. So just throwing that out there. But, but I want to share my heart with you guys because the, the truth is this, is we kind of have this family meeting. We address the elephant in the room, and I just want to keep this as real as, as I can. It's one of our values here at Orchard that we keep it real. I, I believe that many of you, you, you want to have a part in what God's doing. Many of you do have a part in what God's doing. Many of you have sacrificed for the last couple of years, giving over and above your tithes and offerings to help us build this building. And not only do you have a part in the building, but more importantly, the people that we're going to help find and follow Jesus, the thousands of lives that are going to be changed for eternity. But there's a lot of new people in our church in the last uh, couple of years since we started this building process. There's probably four or five hundred people that are new to Orchard. And, and I believe your heart is you want to be a part of what God's doing. You, you really do. But if we're honest, a lot of people are just so strapped. They don't have any extra money to spend. They don't have any extra money to give. They don't, they don't have that. They're trying to make ends meet the way it is. And so where I want to start is just personal finances. You know, handling our money God's way instead of society's way and the world's way. We're going to look at what the Bible says about money, and this is going to be practical. It's going to be helpful for all of us. So before we talk about this collectively as a church, we just want to talk about it individually in our own lives, and it's going to bless you. It's going to bless your family. It's going to bless your home. If you're a young person here, uh, man, I wish I would have learned some of this stuff when I was your age. I wish I would have learned it, you know, when I was in high school and college and not made some mistakes with money by following following God's way instead of man's way. Let, let me ask you this. How many of you would agree that a little more money in your life would make life a little bit easier? Would you agree with that? Raise your hand. A little more money would make life a little bit easier. You see, money is fun if you've got some, right? Just tell your neighbor. Say that to your neighbor. Money is fun if you've got some, right? The, the problem is a lot of people don't got some. Okay, I know that's not good English, but you, you understand the point. A, a lot of people don't have extra money. There's more month end at the end of the paycheck and, and, and they're strapped and they're struggling and they don't, they don't have the money they'd like to have to do the things they feel like God might be leading uh, them to do. And the truth is, the elephant in the room is this, if we're all honest, there's no guilt here, no shame here, we've all done stupid stuff with money. Okay, if you've, ever, if you've ever done something dumb with money, you know, something stupid with zeros after it, raise your hand. Okay, my hand is up too. All right, so there's no guilt. There's no shame. We're just going to address the elephant in the room. We've all made dumb, stupid decisions with money. You say, have you, Pastor Doug? Oh, yes, many. L let me give you one of them. Uh, when I was in college, I think I was about a sophomore in college, I was going through the student union one day in college. Of course, I'm a broke college student. Most college students are broke, you know, and I just barely was getting by every month. And they had a table set out and there were some people there and they were giving out free t-shirts and all 
all this stuff if you signed up for a credit card. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You remember that? And they're like, sign up. And I'm like, man, I know my parents warned me not to get a credit card, not to get in debt. But you know, I'm a broke college student. What if I have an emergency, right? You know, I found a way to justify it. What if I have an emergency? And I think it was, it was only like a $500 credit limit. And I thought, you know, they probably won't approve me anyway. Well, they did. They were happy to approve me. So I get my $500 credit card. I, I'm, I'm all excited. I feel like, man, I'm, a, I'm an adult now. You know, I've arrived. I got a credit card with my name on it. And I put it in my wallet for emergencies. One night I was hungry and I needed a pizza. That was an emergency. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. And then another night, my friends were going out, and I didn't have any money, but man, I really wanted to be with my friends. That was an emergency. You know, I wanted to go play golf. That was an emergency. And, and this was the really dumb decision. Now, I'm going to kind of date myself. Younger people, you're going to have to ask your mom and dad about this. How, how many of y'all kind of grew up in the 80s, okay, in the 80s? Uh, I, I graduated high school, 86. I was in college, 86 to 90 before uh, Bible college. And in the 80s, one of the coolest things to do with clothes as a guy is you would get these braided belts. Remember the braided belt? And you get it extra long so you could fold it on the side and hang down. It was, yeah, I know, kids, it sounds weird, but it was the cool thing, all right? And so I wanted, man, I mean, I needed a little good, so I needed one of those braided belts. And I remember I went to the store, and I was looking for a braided belt. And they had a matching braided belt and matching braided suspenders. Yeah. And I was like, man, I would look fine in that, you know? And when you're my size, you need all the help you can get with the ladies. So I was like, man, I, 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 this is an emergency. And so I bought these, these pair of shoes. They were, they're Kohans, okay? Kohan shoes and Kohan suspenders. I paid $100 for the shoes and $100 for the suspenders. Now, back in the days, that's a lot of money. That's still a lot of money. And I maxed out my credit card. And I couldn't figure out, man, I was making the minimum $20 payment, and the balance just kept going up. And I'm like, something's not right. And I learned a lot about interest. And, and how they get you. And so, man, I had, I had my suspenders. I had my braided belt. I was looking good. You know, it didn't really work with the ladies. But anyway, and I had this. And then I finally met Shelly. And I thought she'd really like my braided belt suspenders. She was like, what is that? She's like, that is out. That was gone in the 80s. We're now in the early 90s. And then she was like, those shoes are wore out. I mean, I wore them every day. When you spend $100 as a college student on your shoes, you're wearing them all the time. And they were dirty. They were a mess. And she was like, those are the ugliest things I've ever seen. You need to throw those away. I'm like, no way. I spent $100 on these shoes. And I mean, I milked it as long as I could. One day I came home from work. She had thrown away my braided suspenders and my shoes. Got rid of them. Yeah, oh, some of the ladies are like, yeah, that's good, good, yeah. So that's why I don't ever wear them. But it was a dumb financial decision, and we've all made dumb financial decisions. Let's just, so we're not, there's no guilt here, there's no shame here. Listen, if you've ever made a dumb financial decision, just shake off the guilt right now, okay? Just do it, shake it, shake it off, shake off the guilt, shake, 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 shake. Oh, you thought I was going to say booty. No, we can't say booty in church. Okay, shake the guilt off of bad financial decisions, because here's the deal. We cannot change what happened yesterday. But we can change tomorrow. Okay? So I hope this will help some of us as we address the elephant in the room, God's way of handling money. And, and what I want to do is I want to start out in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 7. And let's look at what the scriptures say here about money and finances. Proverbs 22, 7 uh, says this. Just as the rich rule the poor, so the borrower is, help me church, servant to the lender. The borrower is the one who gets into debt. 
It says that he becomes a servant. This word, you have this in your notes, the Hebrew word for servant is abed. It means servant, it means slave, it means bondage. It means bondage. Now, we don't go around saying, you know, hi, my name is Doug Dameron. I'm a servant to money. We, we, we don't say it that way. What we say is something like this. You know, we'd love to get married, but we just don't have enough money yet. We'd we love to start a family, but we don't have the money. We'd love to buy a house. We can't come up with a down payment. You know, I, I really hate my job. I'd like to get a different job, but I need the money. I'd like to help someone in need. But I just don't have the money. I, I would, I'd love to give something to God. I'd like to be a part of what God's doing, but I just don't have the money. Because the borrower, the Bible says, is servant, is in bondage, is enslaved to debt, to money. And so that's the elephant in the room that we need to address. Let me give you some statistics about the elephant in the room when it comes to finances in America today. You have them in your notes. They tell us that the average household debt in the United States is now 136% of household income. I heard some groans. Let's just let that sink in for a minute. That the average household debt is 136% of the household income. That means we're spending 36% more than we make. Now listen, if we handled Orchard Church's finances that way, that for every dollar you give to God, we spend $1.36, I would tell you, find another church. That is horrible stewardship with our finances. There's only one group of people that I know that can spend like that and get away with it. It's the government. Okay? Not a good example. Not a good example to, to live the way they, they do. Here, here's some other statistics. For those carrying a balance, the average credit card debt is $8,169. The average. Some of you are like, we only own five. We're doing good. No, no. You got wrong idea. Okay? Um, the average 21-year-old, listen to this, young people, the average 21-year-old is $12,000 in debt. By 28, they owe $78,000. The average 28-year-old. And so you got these two young people getting married, and they're bringing $100,000, $150,000 of debt into their marriage from day one. That's not a great way to start out your marriage. And, you know, we talk about the American dream. If we're not careful, the American dream can become the American nightmare. Because here's the thing, young people especially need to listen to this. Young people today get married and they want in the first couple of years of marriage what their, their mom and dad had and it took them 30, 40 years to get it. And through debt and financing, we've made it possible. And then we're strapped, we're in bondage, we're enslaved to debt. This, this one is alarming to me. 78% of full-time workers today live paycheck to paycheck. 78%. No wonder there's stress on marriages. No wonder there's stress on families. As soon as emergency comes, it's not a matter of if you're going to have an emergency, but when you have an emergency, you're living paycheck to paycheck. The only thing to do is go into more debt. We've got to get to a place that we get upset enough about this, that we get almost mad about this, that we go, you know what? I don't want to live like that. We've we got to get weird about our money because normal in America is broke and in debt to our eyeballs. We've got house payments and car payments and student loans and credit cards. And you know what it leads to? Sleepless nights, stress, worry, divorce. The number one cause of divorce is financial problems. The number one cause. And here's the good news. I don't want anybody to feel bad. I don't want anybody to be discouraged. Here's the good news. There's a better way. There's God's way of handling money. Amen? 
There's a better way. Now, I know if you're new to church or maybe you're just kind of exploring a faith journey, you may be thinking, why are we talking about money and finances in church? I mean, is that really the place to talk about this? It's absolutely the place to talk about this because God talks about it a lot. Uh, Jesus said this in Matthew 6, 21, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your what? Your heart will be also. This really isn't a financial issue. It's a heart issue. And God is always dealing with our heart. In the Bible, this might surprise some of you, two-thirds of Jesus' parables dealt with money and possessions. Two-thirds. One out of every ten verses in the Gospels deal with money and possessions. There are over 2,300 scriptures in the Bible that deal with money and possessions. Do you think this might be a big deal to God? Say yes. Absolutely it is. And so we have a spiritual responsibility as your pastor who loves you and cares about you guys and wants to help all of us in this area. If I'm going to teach the whole counsel of God and all of God's word, and there's over 2,300 verses about this subject, then I would not be helping anybody by avoiding this. And, and the challenge is this, that there's a lot of temptations in this world that are tempting us to have the wrong view of money and finances. Let me give you two of them in your notes. The temptation of money and things. The first one is this, according to the scriptures. There, that we are tempted to serve money. If we're not careful, we'll be tempted to serve money. Uh, turn over to Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. And these are Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. These are his words. If you have a red letter Bible, they're in red. That means this was Jesus speaking. And in Matthew uh, chapter 6, verse 24, Jesus said this, no one can serve two masters for you will hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God, help me out church, and be enslaved to what? Money. We all, you're here, I believe, because you love God and you want to serve God. But, but Jesus said we can't serve God and serve money. One is going to overtake the other. And it's interesting that God chooses money to be the divider between us and God more than anything else. I mean, he could have said you can't serve God in power. He could have said you can't serve God in popularity. He could have said you can't serve God in yourself. But he said you can't serve God and be enslaved to money. Why did God choose money? I believe God chose money because it's the number one competitor for our hearts. And God knows that. And he wants our heart. And again, we don't say, you know, I serve money. Yes, I admit it. But we have all found ourselves at times in our life serving money if we're honest. Have you, like myself, ever bought something you didn't need with money you didn't have to impress people you didn't even care about? I have. Why did we do that? Because we serve, we're tempted to serve money. Have you ever saw someone that had a need that you could have helped and meet that need, but instead you hoarded your money and kept it to yourself and you held your money with a closed fist instead of an open fist? Why would we do that? Because we are tempted to serve money. Have you ever fought to get up the corporate ladder at the expense of your family and your marriage and your relationships? Why would we do that? Because we're tempted at times to serve money and we don't even realize it. Now, now let me say this. It's not wrong to have nice things. I believe God wants you to have some nice things, but God doesn't want those nice things to have you. That's the difference. It's not wrong to have nice things as long as those nice things don't have you. And if we're honest, if we're real, really honest and keep it real to address the elephant in the room and the elephant in America when it comes to finances, sometimes we're tempted to serve money and be under its power. Not only are we tempted to serve money, but if we're not careful, we'll be tempted to love money. You have this in your notes. We'll be tempted to love money. Paul said this to young Timothy. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6, 
uh, verse 10. A little bit to the right in your New Testament. And Paul said this. Not only are we tempted to serve money, like Jesus said, Paul said we can be tempted to love money. 1 Timothy 6.10, he says, For the what, church? Love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people read this and they say, Money is the root of all kinds of evil. Have you ever heard it that way? That's not what the Bible says. It says the love. Everybody say love. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. And we could probably line this stage with people who could give story and testimony how they craved money and they loved money and all it did was bring them sorrow and difficulty and pain and despair in their life. You see, money is neutral. Money is all moral. It's not good. It's not bad. It's just money. It's paper with ink on it. It's, it's kind of like, you know, my cell phone, okay? My cell phone is all moral. It's neutral. It's not good or bad. Now, I can choose how I use this cell phone, whether for good or bad. If you're with me, say yes. Yeah, I can use this cell phone for good, and I can stay in contact with my family, and I, I can call my wife during the day. Hey, how you doing? Do you need anything? Do you need me to vacuum when I get home? I said that in the first service. My wife came to me right after and said, uh, you haven't said that in a while. You know, maybe it's time for that. You know, I can stay in touch with my son who's eight and a half hours away in, in college. You know, I can get on Facebook and stay connected with friends and family and encourage people, tell them I'm praying for them. I can get on my cell phone and use my Bible app and read the Bible. I've got a prayer app and I can use that to pray for people. I can choose to use this for good. But if I'm not careful, I could also choose to use this for bad. This could be a distraction. You know, when I'm supposed to be having a nice romantic dinner with my wife and I'm checking Facebook or my fantasy team. Yes, I've been there. You know, I, 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 can, I can be distracted by I could choose to look at something inappropriate that I shouldn't look at. You know, we can get on Facebook and we can say nice things and encourage people or we can gossip. It's not, the problem's not the cell phone. The problem is what we do with it or the good that we do with it. Do you agree? And, and money is the same way. Money is neutral. Money is all moral. It's not good. It's not bad. It's what we do with it. I believe this, that money simply reveals who we really are. It just reveals who we really are. If someone is generous and they have a lot of money, then they're probably going to be more generous with, with their money. I know people that don't hardly have any money. I've been around the world to a lot of third world countries on mission trips, and I've seen people living in cardboard boxes and dirt floors, and they're some of the most generous people I've ever met. They'll give you anything they have. And then I've also known people with a lot of money that are not generous. It doesn't make, it's what you do with the money. Just because you have a lot doesn't mean that you're generous or you're not generous. It's what you do with it. Money is neutral. It's how we use it. It's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the heart. And sometimes we say things like, well, if I had more money, then I would work less. And statistics say that people that have a lot of money are the ones that work the most at the expense of their family and not spending time and, and neglecting other responsibilities. People say, well, if I had more money, then I would get out of debt. You know, as soon as I have more money, I'll get out of debt. Really? Have you watched some of these multi-million dollar athletes? You know, as soon as they get done with their career, before you know it, within a year, they're broke. Bankruptcy. Because all they did was just spend everything they had. You see these people that win the lottery. And then within a year, they have none of it. Nothing to show for it. It's, it's a matter of the heart. You know, people say, well, if I had more money, I would give more. 
Did you know that statistically in the church that the people that give the least are the people that make the most? Money is neutral. It's all moral. It's what we do with it. Uh, listen to what uh, Solomon said in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 10. Those who, say it church, love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. Rockefeller, one time, one of the richest men to ever live in America, Rockefeller was asked this question, how much money is enough? And his answer was this, just a little more. That's how a lot of people live. How much is enough? Just a little more. Just a little more. Someone also, when Rockefeller died, the story is that at his funeral, somebody went up to one of his many accountants and said, how much did he leave behind? And the accountant wisely answered, all of it. <laughs> right? All of it. It doesn't go with you. And so I, I want us to understand that money is not evil. The Bible says it's the love of money that's the problem. When we serve money, when we love money. And the reality is a lot of people are under the power of money and they don't even realize it. They don't want to address the elephant in the room. They don't want to recognize it. And, and unlike the great theologian, Dr. Phil often says, we can't change what we won't acknowledge. And so maybe it's time for some of us just to acknowledge and address the elephant in the room that at times we're tempted to serve money. We're tempted to love money. You see, it, the, the key issue is this. It's not how much you make. It's how much you spend. That's the real key issue when it comes to personal finance. It's not how much you make. It's how much you spend. Remember the statistic? Uh, we spend 136% more than we make. I mean, that's, that's a problem. That's a problem. And I would say it this way. In America, we don't, for the most part, we don't have an income problem. We have a spending problem. We have a lifestyle problem. And we've got to be willing to change our lifestyle. I, I would say it's a, it's a heart problem. It's a, it's a spiritual problem. When we serve money, when we love money, when we love possessions to an unhealthy degree. D Dave Ramsey says this. He's one of my favorite uh, teachers on personal finance. He says, personal finance is 80% behavior and only 20% head knowledge. It's not what we know. It's what we do with what we know. It's how we live. It's how we spend. It's how we behave. And so I, I hope this will be a little bit of a wake-up call for all of us personally and we'd address the elephant in the room and we'd say, you know, I don't want to be in bondage to debt. I don't want to be a servant to money. I don't want to love money. I don't want to be enslaved to that. I want to honor God with my money, with my possessions, with my time. And so, in, so instead of serving money, let me share with you God's way of handling money. Okay? Instead of serving money and loving money, what is God's way of handling money? This is God's way of handling money. It's this. Money serves us as we serve God. That's God's way of handling money. That instead of serving money and loving money, that money serves us as we serve God. L let me put it this way. Money is a great servant, but a horrible master. Isn't that true? It's a great servant, but a horrible master. We don't want to love money. We don't want to serve money. We want money to serve us so we can serve God. Paul said this in Romans 13, 8. Owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to what? To love one another. Instead of loving and serving money, let's love one another. So you say, well, how can money serve me so I can serve God? I don't want to love money. I don't want to serve money. I want to handle my money God's way, which is money serves me so I can serve God. How do we do that? 
Well, think of it this way. When you have some extra money, money can buy us time. And that's the most precious thing we can have is, is more time. Money can buy us time, more time with our friends, more time with our family, more time to serve God. You know, if you've got a little bit of money and you're supposed to go to a conference and it's eight, ten hours away, you know, if you don't have money, maybe you've got to get in the car and you've got to drive and it's going to take you a couple of days just to be on the road. But if you've got some money, then you could get on an airplane, which leaves more money to be with your friends, to be with your family, to, to serve God. Maybe if you've got a little extra money, you can provide someone to you know, clean your house for your wife so she can spend more time with the kids. Ladies, can I have an amen? amen. <laughs> Men are like, oh, why did he say that? But, it, but money can buy you time. Money can buy you time on vacation with your kids, with your family, to create some memories that will last forever. That's money serving us so we can serve God and serve our family and serve others. Let me tell you another way. Money serves us so we can help other people. So we can meet other people's needs. Maybe those that are less fortunate. Maybe those that, that are struggling. Man, and I just want to uh, brag on Orchard Church. You guys are a very generous church. You really are. We, we came to you with a need that we wanted to be involved in helping with disaster relief in Texas and, and in Florida and Puerto Rico. And so we just took a special offering a couple of weeks ago. We were hoping that maybe we'd get a, you know, a few thousand dollars. You guys gave over $14,000 to disaster relief. Can we praise God for that? Because of your generosity. And we took every penny of that and we sent it um, to some different organizations that we partner with so that it would help people in Texas and in Florida and Puerto Rico. And some of you don't know this, but there was a family that used to attend Orchard Church, a very faithfully involved here. And they, about a year ago, moved down to the Houston area in Texas and they were caught in Hurricane Harvey. And they actually reached out to us and said, you know, hey, pray for us. Is there any way you could help us at all? And we were able to take some of the money. We took every penny you guys gave us. We gave it to different organizations. But some of it we gave to this family. And I received this email from them yesterday thanking our church. And this is money serving us so we can serve God and help other people. And just listen to the timing of this story. It's incredible. They said, Dear Orchard family, hello from Rockport, Texas, a work in progress. Cindy and I want to thank the fellowship with all our hearts for your wonderful gift. We look back very fondly at our time at Orchard Church, such a loving and caring church. Cindy and I moved in January 2017 for a change in, of weather. We just didn't expect this much weather. I'm sure that's true. There were several times during the hurricane I cried out to the Lord, if this is it, please make it quick. I managed to save some legal documents, some personal items, but most of our stuff was completely destroyed. We have always seen ourselves as people who help others, not people who needed to receive help, but Harvey was a burden that we needed help and we could not bear alone. This is where Orchard Church came in. Getting us through that time has allowed us to minister in many ways to others in need right here in our community. Praise the Lord. And, and then they added this, and this is so interesting because they had no idea of this series that we were starting today on personal finance and handling money God's way. And this is what they said. Pastor Doug, thank you for your series on finances years ago. God changed our giving and spending habits during that time. This crisis could have been so much worse if we had behaved financially the way we did before the Spirit changed our hearts through that teaching. Thank you, and may God continue to bless Orchard Church. Can we praise God for that great testimony? <clears throat> I mean, this is a family that sat where many of you are sitting several years ago, and we taught on some of this kind of material, and they applied it to their life, and they put it into practice, they lived it out, and they said, man, if we had not made those changes to handle God's money, God's way, we wouldn't have made it through this. 
And so we don't want to serve money. We don't want to love money. We want money to serve us as we serve God. Because money is a great servant, but a horrible master. You know, and, and when, when we have money that serves us so we can serve God, we can help other people. You, you guys were so generous. Um, a few, uh, it was probably a couple months ago, you remember we had one of our missionaries here, Luke and Kelly Lyons. They're missionaries of the Philippines. And they shared a need with us for some new vehicles. And because of your generosity and money we had saved in our mission account, we were able to write them a check. We didn't even have to raise the money from you guys. We, we, you'd been giving it. We'd been putting it away for a need like this. We wrote them a check for $20,000. And how fun was that? What a blessing just to give that to them and say, we want to meet that need. But there's more to the story. Here's the part of the story maybe you haven't heard about. While they were here, Luke Lyons mentioned that in the Philippines, because our heart is planting churches, not only here but around the world, he said, you can plant a church for $6,000, a brand new church in the Philippines. Two different individuals and families at Orchard Church walked up to Luke after the service, wrote a check for $6,000 and gave it to him. Is that incredible or what? Incredible. So he, he left here with $32,000. I mean, he was speechless. He was blown away. He couldn't believe it. Why did that happen? Because money served us so we could serve God and we could help someone else. And as Christians, we don't want to serve money. We don't want to lo love money. We want to serve God. And I want to close just sharing a little bit of my story, um, Shelly and I's story. We'll, we'll be married 25 years uh, this year after Christmas. And here's what I want to tell you about how we've approached our personal finances. And we haven't always done it right, but we've tried really hard to live by this value. And you're going to recognize this value. Here's been our value. We give first because we have a give first God. We save second because it creates healthy margin in our life. And then we live on the rest. That's how we've tried to live our marriage for 25 years. I learned my lesson in college. I, I paid that $500 credit card off. I cut it up. I said, never again. And for 25 years of marriage, we have always put God first. We've always given 10% of our gross income to the Lord first. We've always given above that. We've always given, because that's a tithe, then there's an offering above that. We've always given to missions and feeding centers, helping with building campaigns, things like that, helping people in need. And, and even when we didn't have much money, my, my first job in ministry, I was a youth pastor at a church 25 years ago, and I made $12,000 a year, not a month, okay? A year. But we always put God first. We always put God first. And then we always saved second. And now early on in our marriage, we couldn't save much. I mean, sometimes it was $10 a month, it was $20 a month, $30, and it grew over time. And then we just lived on the rest. And when a lot of our friends were buying nicer houses and nicer cars and going on extravagant vacations, we sacrificed and we said, no, we're going to act our wage. And we lived within our means, and we just did that for 25 years. The only debt we ever had, I had a little bit of student loan debt, we got that paid off, and then we had one car payment. We've never had two car payments, we've always had at least one paid for, and then it was about 13 years ago, the only debt we had left was, was a car payment. We paid that off, and we were completely debt-free. Now, it took us, you know, about 12 years to get to that point, but we were completely debt-free. And, and how interesting the timing was, because we said, we're not going to love money, we're not going to serve money. Money's going to serve us, so we can serve God and we can answer his call wherever he would take us. And just a few months after we wrote that last check to pay off our car and we were completely debt-free, God called us to Denver, Colorado to plant Orchard Church. 
Yeah, we praise God for that. Amen? Amen. And we could have never, we could have never done that if we had a bunch of debt and a bunch of finances and we, and when we were strapped. We would not have been able to step out in faith and do that. And, and I want to share that with you guys because I want some of you to experience that. And, and you know, as a church family, that's, that's our story. Let me, let me just quickly share you Orchard Church's story. Because I have people all the time asking me. I have other pastors calling me. I have people in our community going, okay, let me understand this correctly. You guys started Orchard Church. Actually, we didn't start anything. We just joined God where he was at work. And we tried to stay out of the way and not mess it up. But 12 years ago, you, you, Orchard Church started in your living room with four people in an apartment. That's how Orchard started 12 years ago. And now, 12 years later, you bought 38 acres of land and paid cash for it and didn't have to raise any of it. You just had it set aside. You're now getting ready to move into your first permanent facility, a 52,000 square foot facility. You'll see 1,000 people to help more people find and follow Jesus. $13 million building. How were you able to do that? Well, let me tell you how we were able to do that. Because as a church, we have acted our wage for 12 years. We've always given to God first, saved second, and lived on the rest. Some of you may not know this, but every time you give here at Orchard Church and you tithe, we as a church tithe off the tithe. And 10% of all the general fund goes into mission fund to help uh, people find and follow Jesus all around the world and in this community and plant other churches. This year alone, we will tithe and give back to God over $200,000 to missions and planting churches. This year alone. We, and we've done that for many years now. We've given to God first. And then we've saved second. People ask all the time, how were we able to save $1.8 million to buy that land and pay cash for it? Here's the thing. We've been making a building payment for 12 years. We just haven't been making it to a bank. We've been making it to ourselves. We've been putting it into savings. And instead of paying someone else interest, we've been gaining interest. And we've been doing that for 12 years. And so when God opened the door for us to buy that land, we had the money. We gave first. We saved second. And we have operated the church on the rest, and we've always had a savings. I know some people are freaking out, going, oh my gosh, we're going to this building, we're going to have this payment, and all this stuff. We've been making a building payment for years. We're ready. God's prepared us. We, we can do this. We can do this. But listen, we want you to have a part in that. And we want you to experience this in your own life as well. What God can do when we put Him first, when we trust Him, when we handle our finances in a God-honoring way. And, and I hope some of you will just say, you know what, we need to go home today and we need to sit down as, as a marriage, as a family, and we need to address the elephant in the room. We want to handle God's money God's way. We don't want to love money. We don't want to serve money. We want to serve God, and we want money to serve us so we can serve God. We'll make the sacrifices. We're going to get serious about this. You're going to get a chance to talk about this in your small groups, to encourage each other. And some of you maybe that have done better in this than others, you can encourage those that have it because we're all in this together. And you can get there. Now, now listen, next week, we're going to talk about acting our wage. I mean, it's going to be super practical. You know, okay, how do we live on a budget? How do we get out of debt? You know, I don't even know where to start. I want to do this, but I don't know where to start. We're going to give you some super practical steps to do this next week. But today, let's just make a decision, Orchard Church family, that we're not going to serve money. We're not going to love money. We're going to serve God. And we're going to love God. And money is going to serve us as we serve God. Amen? And we're going to act our wage by giving first, saving second, 
living on the rest. Father, thank you for your word this morning. I know that this is a difficult subject as we address this elephant in the room with finances and we look at the national debt and how many people are, are struggling and it's strapped. And I pray that this would set some people free to realize there is a better way. There's your way. So we just continue in, in an attitude of prayer right now with heads bowed and eyes closed. How many of you would be honest enough to say this morning, you know, I don't want to be in bondage to debt. I don't want to serve money. I want to serve God. I want to honor him. And God has spoken to my heart. I, I need to address this in my life. Can I pray for you? Would you slip up hands all across this auditorium? I, I, I need to make some adjustments. God bless you. Hands everywhere. God bless you. Let me pray for you. Father, I just pray for all those today that you've spoken to their heart. And I, I pray, God, that nobody would feel any guilt or any shame. We can't change the past, but we can change tomorrow and the future as we apply your word to our lives and our situations and that we would understand that this is a heart issue this is not a money or a financial issue it's a heart issue because where our treasure is that's where our heart is going to also be and i pray that we'd apply these to our lives i pray that we would hear more stories like this email we read of this family that applied some of these truths several years ago and said man if we had not made those changes then we'd have never made it through this i pray that we would look back to today in this series and people would go man thank you thank you for showing me a better way god's way as we apply this to our lives and that we see some people set free from the bondage of debt and finances so we continue an attitude of prayer right now if you're here today and you've never received jesus as your lord and savior God's not interested in your money today. He's interested in you. He's interested in your heart. He's interested in your, your life. And, and here's what the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us that we all had a sin debt that we could not pay. But praise God, Jesus Christ went to a cross 2,000 years ago and he died on that cross to pay for our sin debt, to set us free from the bondage of our sin so we could have everlasting life. And it, it cost us nothing, but it cost him everything. And all we have to do is accept it by faith. And if you're here today and you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now in this place. I'm going to pray a prayer out loud. And if you would be willing to pray this prayer with me from your heart to God's, it's not a magic prayer or magic words, but if you put faith and belief behind it, you can invite Jesus into your life today and have your sins forgiven. So if that's you, you know who you are. Would you pray this prayer with me? It just goes like this. Jesus, I'm calling on you today. Come into my life. Be my Lord, be my Savior, forgive me of my sin debt. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me. Thank you for setting me free. Thank you, thank you. So we continue in an attitude of prayer with heads bowed, eyes closed. Listen, I don't want to embarrass anybody. If you just prayed that prayer for the first time, I'd love to pray for you that you would grow in your walk and relationship with Jesus from this day forward. So can I pray for you right now? Would you slip up your hand if you prayed that prayer? God bless you, sir. God bless you, sir. Yes, God bless you over here. God bless you. A couple people over here. Amen. God bless you. Yes, over to my right. Amen. God bless you. Yes, God bless you. Thank you. Amen. God bless you. Amen. We can celebrate that, church. Amen. Let me pray for you. Father, we uh, thank you for those putting their faith and trust in you today. The greatest debt that we could be relieved of is our sin debt that you paid for us 2,000 years ago. May those of us who know you as Lord and Savior thank you today and praise you and worship you today that we've been set free from the bondage of our sin to have a relationship with you and a home in heaven and sins forgiven. May we never take that for granted. May we never take that lightly. Lord, we thank you for all those saying yes to you today. We welcome them to the family of God as our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we just celebrate their decision. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's celebrate decisions for Jesus this morning. God bless you guys.
Amen. Amen. We celebrate those decisions because the Bible says that heaven celebrates those decisions. So if you made that choice to find and follow Jesus today, if you said yes to Jesus, uh, we celebrate with you and we would love to help you take your next steps in growing in your faith. And one very practical next step that you can take is right there in your seat. You have a connection card in your newsletter that you got on the way in today. If you would take that out of the newsletter, if you would give us your basic contact information, check on the back that you said yes to Jesus today, and then drop that in the offering bucket when it goes by here in a moment. We'll receive that, and we'll be able to send you a booklet in the mail that will help you in your next steps in your newfound walk with Jesus Christ. If you're a first-time guest today, I hope that you have also filled out that connection card. If you'll drop that in the offering bucket, we'll be able to send you a free gift that's just a thank you for worshiping with us today. And if you're a first-time guest and you've never met Pastor Doug, he'll be out by the blue tent, so please stop by, say hello to him. I know that he would appreciate that. So let's stand as we close in a song of worship and worshiping with our tithes, offerings, and givings, because we do want to be a church that acts our wage by giving first, saving second, and living on the rest. Thank you, Orchard Church, for helping people find and follow Jesus.